And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the show. It is, of course, the second best day of the week. And thank goodness this week's almost over. It's been a, it's been a tough week for the markets. A uh, couple of things to get into. Michael Leibowitz joining me this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about the inflation data yesterday. Uh, inflation did come in hotter than expected, but has it peaked? That's going to be the real question here. And interestingly enough, bond yields may be giving us a clue in that direction as well. And so we'll kind of get into that conversation this morning, kind of what comes next. But stocks uh, continue to be under a lot of pressure yesterday. Uh, stocks were trying to open higher yesterday morning after, you know, being oversold here for the last few days. And we had talked about yesterday morning that after having a very deep oversold due for a bounce, markets were opening up yesterday. Then, of course, as we were getting ready to open higher for the morning, uh, the inflation print came out coming in a bit hotter than expected. And that led to basically a sell off in stocks. Again, concerns over inflation and and what's happening really kind of impacting a lot of the Nasdaq stocks. We're seeing, you know, a lot of selling pressure in, you know, higher beta stocks now that we're kind of getting later to the sell off. And one thing we had talked about, you know, early this year is that the indexes were masking what was going on below the surface of, of the indexes, right? A lot of these companies are down 40, 50, 60, 70 percent or more in a lot of cases, and but the indexes were really holding up pretty well. The S&P is down about 18% for the year now, um, compared to a lot of these stocks are down a lot more. And the, and the reason for that is that because the selling hasn't been in the big mega cap names until lately. And just over the last really week or so, Apple, Microsoft, Google have come under a lot of pressure here. And that's now starting to really weigh um, you know, in April and then here so far in May has really kind of been weighing on the index because now the generals are getting sold off. And there's two things that are kind of interesting about this. One, margin debt has reversed fairly sharply here over the last couple of months. And, and part of the sell-off in, you know, the bigger cap companies. Also, we saw the other day big sell-offs in energy names. Uh, in particular, which has been the go-to trade this year. We saw ExxonMobil and Marathon and others down 8, 9, 10, 11% in a day. And what that suggests is, is that you're getting some margin calls coming in. And a lot of these uh, young retail traders, et cetera, that were way out on margin are now having to sell their good stocks to cover the margin calls. And that's part of that margin call process when if you had a bunch of the, of the ARC-type companies that are down 60, 70, 80%, you're going to get that phone call that says, hey, you need to cover your exposure. And if all you've got left is your Apple and your Microsoft, eventually that has to get sold. And that may be part of what we're seeing here is that kind of that capitulatory selling here. And there's also just that side of it, too. This market has been brutal this year uh, emotionally. And look, the market's down 18 percent and, and it sounds terrible, right? It just it's like 18 percent. Sounds terrible. Remember, up 26 percent last year. So you're giving back those gains. And but again, this has been a fairly orderly decline. There's not any kind of moments in here, really, even going back to the beginning of this year, where you just have this market just kind of falling apart every day. 
um, like we saw in March of 2020, this has been a fairly orderly decline here. And I know that's not very comforting for you, and I'm not trying to, to make light of the situation because it is you know, troubling here where, where we are financially this year so far. And markets, again, you know, we're halfway through the year. Markets are under a lot of pressure. Um, things don't really, you know, seem to be kind of holding supports where they should be. But again, this has been an orderly decline. We're not seeing a tremendous amount of panic. We're not seeing a, a tremendous amount of just, you know, investors just kind of giving up the ship yet, which is, is, is part of a problem as well, because generally we are not going to find long lasting bottoms. We're going to find the bottom until eventually investors go, screw it, I'm out, right? I'm done. I, I don't want nothing else to do with this market. We're not seeing that just yet. However, as we've been saying here for the last few days, um, all of our indicators are at levels now that suggest that a tradable bounce is likely. And again, we haven't gotten it yet. And that's very frustrating by every stretch of the imagination. But this is, we're kind of in this very, this very heavy three standard deviation territory, normally where you see a bit of a reflexive bounce. Where's that going to get you to on, on spiders, uh, the S&P 500 ETF? Um, about, you know, currently about, you know, 420, 421 on that ETF on the index, you know, around 4,200, very, very possible there. Again, not a huge move from where we are now, but certainly a better level to sell at than where we are right now. And again, you know, these kind of reflexive rallies back to the 20-day moving average, very common here. And we've been seeing that consistently, even from this peak decline that we had starting back in March, we've had these kind of continual retests of the 20-day moving average. So a bounce back to the 20-day moving average, good first level to start reducing risk, adding some hedges to portfolios, et cetera. One thing I said though, is that bonds uh, in particular are also kind of helping us out here lately and you know, while bonds, we said earlier this year that bonds are, are, are terribly hated and everybody hates bonds and really talk about negative sentiment, that was really in the bond market to a large degree. But here over the last few days, and this was interesting because the day before the CPI inflation print yesterday and yesterday, bond yields have actually been moving back lower. Now they're back to the 20 day moving average as well. Uh, still on, um, you know, kind of an overbought signal here. So that suggests that we could see rates come down a bit more. And in fact, interest rates are slated to be a little bit lower this morning as well. But again, that's been kind of offsetting over the last couple of days. This decline in rates has been offsetting some of the risk in the equity side of portfolios because of that trade-off between stocks and bonds. And, and again, you know, we're certainly not out of the woods just yet by any stretch of the imagination. There's certainly a lot of concerns here. And again, Mike and I will get into kind of the larger, uh, larger context of this. But as you can see here, TLT had a very nice bounce here over the last couple of days. And we're starting to actually see that money flow situation starting to improve here as well. So again, as we kind of see more money flows coming in, where we potentially see uh, better bond prices, that'll help hedge some of the risk in portfolios. The one other side of this uh, story this morning, of course, is Ethereum and Bitcoin. Um, you know, the cryptocurrencies are very interesting because these were touted as a hedge for inflation, a replacement for gold. You don't want to be long the dollar, you know, because dollars going to zero. You want to be long Bitcoin and, and, and that, well, Bitcoin has been under a tremendous amount of pressure, currently trading around 26,000, down from 69,000 in its peak just last year. Huge decline in Bitcoin, very, but again, much like everything else. And again, there's a very high correlation now between Bitcoin and high beta stocks. 
very oversold here as well. So again, we're just seeing kind of this selling pressure across all asset classes, and all this suggests that you're going to get a pretty good reflexive rally. The problem is, is when is it going to come? Is it going to come from here or from much lower levels before you get that rally? Unfortunately, we just don't know. But this is the this is the point we've been making the last few days. This is where we, we typically make emotional mistakes, and we kind of start just you know, done, I'm out. I start kind of emotionally panic selling things, typically right at the bottom. And that's where we just, you know, try to avoid, you know, that type of emotional trade. I know it's painful right now. I know it's, it, it just, it just sucks at the moment. But give this market a little bit of room here because again, you're likely to get a rally. And when you do sell that, sell that rally, raise more cash, um, and you'll do a, a bit better job for yourself longer term as well. So again, no guarantees, of course. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns in the market. We're going to get into that this morning with Michael Leibowitz when we come back from the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual Lunch and Learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance Lunch and Learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso. Real Investment the Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Roberts. Michael Leibwich joining me as well <clears throat> to talk a little bit about uh, everything. We've got a lot of stuff to get into this morning, uh, starting with inflation. Yesterday's inflation number was kind of interesting because out of the eight sectors that make up the CPI index, only four of them, about half of them, only four of them were actually up. Energy, surprisingly enough, was down uh, by a decent percentage over the course of the last month. And, you know, but what's still continuing to weigh on the inflation numbers, of course, is homeowners equivalent rent, which is a very big part uh, on a percentage basis of that calculation. So inflation did come in hotter than it was expected yesterday. However, the month over month and year over year rates of change actually did decline. So one of the questions will be whether or not, you know, going forward, if we continue to see those rates of change you know, continue to decline here on a month over month and a year over year basis. And, and the odds are very high that that is indeed going to be the case, even if housing prices and rents stay about where they are. And if we just continue to print, say, a 0.3% increase, which is higher than the norm, over the rest of this year, inflation rates are going to fall into the 5% range by the end of the year. Again, as we said before, though, doesn't mean that things are getting any cheaper for you. That doesn't mean gas gets cheaper, although I did see gas this morning under $4 on the way to work. So I thought that was interesting. 
Lucky you. I know. That's what I get for living out in the sticks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I have an oil well right next door to my house. Yeah. So just, yeah. you know, I just drive up and attach myself. Tap into that. <laughs> exactly. I wish it only worked that way. Um, but anyway, you know, that's that's kind of the idea. And of course, I, I think, you know, this, as I was saying a second ago, you know, interest rates may be also giving us some clues here. Um, because of the last couple of days, we've seen a fairly decent drop in interest rates. Anyway, uh, let's get let's get into this. Michael Leibowitz uh, joining me this morning, uh, posting this morning, talking about Bill Dudley yesterday. Uh, you and our daily commentary that you can get on our website now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, you put an interesting piece of commentary in from uh, Bill Dudley, who is has been railing against the Fed here lately on inflation. Yeah, Bill Dudley was at the New York Fed for about 10 years, and he has been very outspoken about the Fed, thinking that they're doing things wrong, criticizing them. Earlier, before the Fed was doing anything, he thought the Fed should have been, should have been tightening policy much quicker. He saw inflation coming on. He was a proponent for the Fed to, to do something. The Fed didn't do it. Now he's getting on the Fed because it's too late. And the Fed, I guess, in his opinion, is still not even aggressive enough. And they're sugar, in his words, they're sugarcoating the economy, the jobs market, and inflation. And he, he said, basically, the Fed's really doing a disservice to the American people, but to themselves, because it's making their job harder. Yeah, you know, it, it is making their job harder. But again, you know, the market's kind of doing the work for them. You know, I, I understand his point that, you know, he thinks that the Fed needs to hike rates faster to tighten monetary policy quicker. But if you take a look at financial condition indexes, you know, they're as, as tight as they were at, you know, kind of other recessionary points in the cycle. And, you know, so, you know, the decline in the markets, obviously weighing on sentiment, weighing on consumer sentiment, consumer sentiment continues to, to drop here. Um, the NFIB, National Federation of Independent Business, their outlook for the economy is basically one of the lowest levels in the history of the reporting of that index. So, you know, despite the fact that the Fed really hasn't raised rates much on their end, which may come back to kind of bite them in the butt when they actually need to start lowering rates again, the market's been doing a lot of the work for them. Here's the problem. They, the Fed can only control demand for the most part, the demand right. of goods and services. And what's driving, partially driving inflation is demand. And in order to slow demand down, you need the unemployment rate to reverse and start going higher. Right now, it's basically at all-time lows. Almost every measure of employment's at all-time lows. And you need the economy to slow down. You need both of those to happen. And yes, the economy had a negative GDP number. But these numbers, economic data has been so volatile, it's hard to make sense of down, what was it, 1.4%, just as it was equally hard to make sense of plus six point, I think it was 9% in the prior quarter. Right. You just have a ton of volatility. And yes, I think the economy is slowing. I think the jobs market is actually starting to turn, although it could be a little while before we see that show up in the data. But that's what it's going to take to bring inflation down and the supply side to be fully operational. And China's locking down everything again. And that's, you know, that's causing supply line problems. And we, you know, I, I think a lot of our producers are not fully producing because they're really concerned about what's going to happen to demand. So we have this lingering inflation effect. But, Lance, I think CPI was a very important number that the market overlooked um, mm -hmm. 
what was that yesterday right and the market was so keyed up on expectations on where they thought it would be and not the momentum right look right. month over month inflation was 0.3 percent the prior month was 1.2 percent if you annualize 0.3 percent that's about 3.6 percent that's mm. i i think the Fed would jump for joy if they knew that inflation would be three is running at 3.6%. Yeah, That's yeah. much higher than the 10 plus percent annualized rate that we had a month ago. Mm -hmm. So it seems based on we're seeing some normalizing of prices, used car prices are down, right? Energy prices are where they are three months ago, but they're kind of crude oil hasn't really popped above 110 a barrel. Right. It keeps right. bumping up against it and falling down. So the month over month price is not really changing, as you talked about earlier. Yeah. And the prices of other things are moderating. So what we're getting to is that the inflation rate is slowing. It doesn't mean prices are coming down, but they're just not going up eight to 10 percent on an annualized basis. They're, they're slowing. That momentum is slowing. And I think that's the important part in that number. And inflation is such it's impossible to calculate. There are so many things that go into inflation, geography, buying demand. And you, you know, I could make a list 10 pages long of how what you need to calculate inflation, and it's different for everyone. Right. So the fact that it was a tenth of a percent off tells me nothing. Mm -hmm. it, it's like the employment number. It's a survey of a really small number of people. And from that, everyone on Wall Street is glued to, you know, was it over or under by 5,000 people or something crazy like that? So I think, look, just keep an eye on the momentum of inflation. It, it, you know, it could have been under by a tenth, over by a tenth. I'm not sure that really matters. What matters is next month, do we see it stay low, you know, 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.3%? And, you know, the other thing we've talked about, Lance, is the math behind CPI. Mm -hmm. If you go back a year ago, CPI, that's when CPI took off. And it was starting to rise at 0 0.6, 0 0.8, 0.9% a month. Well, if you think about it, if a year ago it rose at 0.9 and it's rising at 0.3, as you add that plus 0.3, you take away that plus 0.9, and that brings the year-over-year -year rate down. Right. Call it whatever you want, but that's the math behind year-over-year -year inflation. And that's why it fell from 8.5 to 8.2. Yep. And yep. That then the propensity will be if for it to fall further, purely because of the math. Assuming we don't get, we don't start running at 0.9, percent monthly inflation. Mm -hmm. Well, and again, I, I, one of the the points you made, and I think this is a key point that you know a lot of people are, are overlooking is is employment, and that's kind of a really big factor for the Fed. Again, the, you know the the Fed's two primary mandates are price stability, i.e., inflation and full employment and one of the hammers that they have with monetary policy is impacting financial markets because that has some other implications throughout the economy and one of those is that you know for the fed one thing they can do is control that psychology and, and we're seeing them do this and this is starting to weigh on employers and we're already starting to see employers talking about you know, not hiring as fast. Um, you know, we're we're starting starting to see wage gains trying to moderate here a bit, because again, one of the things that are contributing to inflation is rising wages, 
And so if he can control the employment side of the equation, suppress stock prices to the point that companies become concerned about outlooks, then all of a sudden, maybe they don't hire as much, they don't hire as much, they don't raise wages. That starts to also impact that infl- that kind of that inflation push in the economy. It also slows economic growth because people have don't have a job and they have less money to spend. But that all kind of dovetails back into this this trying the the ability to try to lower that rate of inflation uh, unfortunately the the trick and and this is the one thing they've never been able to quite figure out is how to engineer that without causing a, a pretty decent recession so you know i don't know if they succeed this time with a soft landing i'm i'm not i'll, I'll take the i'll take the under on that bet but you know and going full circle that's why bill dudley says they're sugarcoating it yeah because the fed does not want to come out and say we need to raise the unemployment rate and we need a recession that's yeah. what we need if you want to cut cut inflation right back down. That's what we need. And the Fed will never say that. The president will fire Powell as Trump tried to do if he says something like that. And there's a lot of political pressure to to sugarcoat it. Right. Yeah. And again, you know, look, I I appreciate, um, you know, Dudley's position. But you know, again, the Fed is, you know, kind of in, a, as you stated, they're kind of in a tough box. You know, the, despite the fact they're supposed to be independent, they are very politically motivated. And we saw that back in 2018. And it's, it's not going to surprise me to see more of that here. I mean, we've seen them talk about fight. You know, the Fed's now going to fight climate change. And, you know, we need to do these other things that have nothing to do with monetary policy. But they've now gotten sucked into this whole kind of political environment, which is not great long term. I mean, that has other unintended consequences that, you know, I think we'll see come to the surface. But even the U.S. Treasury, the Treasury Department itself, Janet Yellen, has gotten sucked into these other political debates on socialism and modern monetary theory that have nothing to do with her job as Secretary of the Treasury. Anyway. Different conversation, different day. We'll come back. Let's talk about markets. Markets under a lot of pressure here. You know, Bitcoin as well. Uh, We'll talk about where we are and, and potentially what happens next. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. How do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families? Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff's next virtual Lunch and Learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to insure your income, minimize your taxes, and protect your real estate. Thursday, May 12th at noon. The most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die. Register now for the truth about life insurance Lunch and Learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So welcome back to the show this morning. It is, of course, Thursday as we get ready to wrap up this trading week. And, of course, uh, just been um, another tough week in the books. Um, You know, whatever... The markets try to rally. Uh, they try to get something going out of the gate. Buyers come in and just immediately they're just trampled to death by sellers. And that's just kind of been the the story this week. 
And that makes it very difficult. You know, this is, you know, kind of the point of where, as we've been talking about lately, you know, you know, even for Mike and myself, I mean, you know, nobody's immune to emotions. And this is where you're really starting to try to fight those emotional pressures to make, you know, emotionally driven decisions in your portfolio that may work out well in the short term but not well in the long term or, you know, maybe a terrible decision short term, but a good decision long term. I mean, it's it, you never know how these things are going to turn out. Um, and this is why it's important to always try to try and, you know, and, and focus on a little bit longer term goals. Try to, you know, you know, not get swept up in that emotional bias in the short term, because typically this is where investors, you know, make the most mistakes, you know, wind up selling low, wind up buying high, you know, just all those types of you know, things that happen. And, you know, we've seen some days over the last couple of weeks where the market's up 3% in a day. And it's like, okay, finally, here's that rally. And the next day you give it all back up again. So again, it has just been an incredibly tough market to trade and navigate this year. Um, you know, but, but again, this is kind of where we are at the moment. Markets are trying to figure out this whole dynamic between inflation, economic growth, um, you know, if we take a look at a, a lot of, you know, investor psychology and investor sentiment, we're at, at levels normally kind of associated with, you know, short term market bottoms. But yet the market just kind of seems to keep wanting to sell off here. And there's certainly a lot of great cases. Um, you know, right now there's, uh, you know, the, the bearish sentiment is certainly ruling the roost uh, for, you know, for the first time in a few years. Uh, the bears are having their day. That's great. Um but we are starting to reverse some of that overvaluation. We are starting to reverse some of those, you know, catalysts that guide us to this point. Again, we go back and look at the meme stocks as an example. Um, you know, those have been absolutely decimated. Coinbase yesterday down almost 30% in a day after they reported their earnings. Um, you know, so it's just we're seeing a lot of those types of companies really really being impacted here so the question becomes you know kind of what happens next i mean is it is it all over is is the 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 bull market done forever and that's that's typically the attitude that we start getting into is that well this market's just going to go to zero and um you know the, the the world's coming to an end and you know it's interesting to me that you know over the last few months it was all about the dollar going to zero I can't tell you how many articles people sent me about the dollar going to zero, and yet the dollar continues. It's been actually one of the best investments this year just to be along the dollar. <laughs> so, you know, again, markets tend not to do the things you expect them to do always in the short term. Doesn't mean long term they don't turn out that way. Doesn't mean long term the dollar doesn't go to zero. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, you know, these kind of one-sided arguments tend not to work out very well you know, in the shorter term time frame. But anyway, um, having said that, you know, let's talk about where we are in the markets right now, Mike. Um, you know, markets are, as I said this morning in the open, you know, kind of going through this. I mean, if you take a look at markets in terms of normal kind of statistical measures, uh, deviations from daily and weekly moving averages, you know, as an example, the markets are, you know, three standard deviations below the one-year moving average. And that's something that you only see near market bottoms we, we the only other times we've seen over the last you know five years has been at the bottom of the market in 2018 and the bottom of the market in 2020 outside of that you don't get this deviated from weekly moving averages your thoughts so there's a few big picture items that i'm constantly thinking about or have been constantly thinking about and we've been talking a lot about lance yeah. are we in a bear market 
big question number one. Is this 2020 where we have a really sharp drop and within months you're gaining big, big chunks of that back? Or are we in more of a 2000, 2008? Circumstances were different in both, but are we in more of a prolonged bear market, a more of a traditional bear market that could see prices go decently lower from where we're at? And those are the, the answering that question is huge. And no one has that answer yet. But we, you know, we keep our eyes on the Fed because the Fed is a big determinant of that. But we also keep it on a whole host of other factors such as valuations, technicals. Now, let's just assume the worst case scenario that we're in a bear market. We're in a 2000 light bear market. This this looks a little more like 2000 and 2008, at least right now. Mm-hmm. Banks are not failing left and right. And, you know, th- there are problems. But right now, the financial sector is appears to be OK. So so we go to like that 2000 to 2003, you know, called a two and a half, three year bear market. Well, within that bear market, there were significant rallies. There were six or seven rallies of greater than 10 percent. So here we are, we're down about 18 percent. The market is showing that we're very oversold on just about any kind of measure. It likely, most likely will bounce here and it will be a pretty big bounce. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's going to last for three weeks and just go up for three weeks. But we could see within a matter of days, a couple hundred points, maybe even more in the S&P 500. Then, you know, then then we got other questions to ask. OK, was that the reflexive bounce? Did that get all our technical indicators back to fair value, maybe even slightly overbought? And how do we adjust at that point? And that goes back to question number one. Right. Are we in a bear market or are we back to kind of 2020 ish where we got a severe drop that's going to, you know, claw back, you know, pretty quickly. And, you know, one of the things that we've been, I think that we've done well at, and we don't do well at everything, certainly, but one thing we've done well at from day one, from January 1st, is we've increased our cash. I think we're sitting on roughly 30% cash right now, maybe even a little bit more. And I think this is equally important. We've shifted our allocations. Mm -hmm. So we have reduced our technology holdings, for instance. We own more energy than the indices own. We we are overweighted in some of the more conservative, uh, lower beta sectors. Our fixed income portfolio, we get a lot of heat over, but we only we have about a third of what we should own based on what our benchmarks are telling us. So so the key is it's not just selling. It don't mm-hmm. don't just sell and go away necessarily. You can reduce exposure, but you also have to think about what you're investing in. Energy stocks are up roughly 30 percent this year. Right. That's that's unbelievable. Some of the staples and conservative stocks are still up on the year. So there are places to hide. There are places that if even if they go down, they go down by much less that can reduce the volatility in your portfolio. Well, and, and this is, you know, this is, you know, kind of also you know, one of the problems that investors get into is that, you know, they go 100% in one direction, right? So they're all in, and then they go all out. And the problem is always getting back in again, as we've talked about before. But, you know, what's, you know, to your point, you know, I think one of the questions that is important to answer is, is are we in a bear market or not? And I think really what defines that differential, so the difference between 2020 versus 2000 and the dot-com crisis 
you know, one of the differences to 2020 was is that in the midst of that decline, which turned out just to be a correction, you know, we got down to long-term moving averages, which is kind of where we are now. So if we start looking at weekly, monthly moving averages, we're sitting on some very important long-term moving averages where we are right now. Um, and the difference was at that point, the Fed came in with cutting rates to zero. And actually, they were already at zero from the Fed. Um, and then they came in with a massive amount of QE, right? We're going to do this $1.2 trillion a month in, in QE. And I think that's uh, you know where you know the difference lied uh, to a large degree of what stopped that market from becoming a much deeper decline. And right now, to your point earlier, the Fed doesn't seem to be any rush here to come to bailout markets, which would suggest that at this point, any rally that we do get is a sellable rally to reduce risk, rebalance exposure, exactly what we have intentions of doing. We've been nibbling on some value stocks here lately, just adding a little bit of stuff that's really been beaten up um, that, uh, of companies that we like that have good, strong fundamental balance sheets. And I think that's a key differential, too, is you know, the stocks that you own, do you own stocks with good, strong fundamentals or do you own stocks that don't make revenue? And, you know, those that's going to be also be a big difference into how your portfolio is performing this year. Danny and I were talking about this yesterday is despite the fact that the S&P is only down 18 percent, the average portfolio is down 28 percent. And that's because a lot of people were chasing a lot of these innovation companies that didn't make that don't have revenue that don't really have strong balance sheets and they've now gotten heavily penalized for owning those types of companies versus just owning you know the stocks that make up the s p 500 index for the most part so i you know there's you know to your point though is that there you know the risk that we're in a bear market is certainly there and until those dynamics change I think you've got to treat it as if we're in a bear market and use rallies to reduce risk, rebalance exposures, and make adjustments accordingly. So we'll come back and talk a little bit more about that. I also want to get into Bitcoin. Um, talked about that a little bit at the open this morning. But, you know, what happened to Bitcoin? The whole, the whole premise behind Bitcoin, where did it go? We'll talk about that with Mike Lazerai Leibowitz right after the break. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com how do the richest people of the world invest and protect their families richard rosso and danny ratliff's next virtual lunch and learn on the truth about life insurance will show you how to ensure your income minimize your taxes and protect your real estate thursday may 12th at noon the most important insurance policy you'll ever own is the one you'll have when you die register now for the truth about life insurance lunch and Learn at realinvestmentadvice.com. The truth about life insurance with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. 
And welcome back to the show this morning. So flipping gears here from financial markets under pressure to cryptocurrencies, which are also under a lot of pressure here. It's very interesting, as I noted earlier in the show today, that, you know, Mike and I personally, we took a lot of heat here uh, on the radio show a while back when we were talking about cryptocurrencies and, you know, kind of undermining the case that, you know, no, they're not a replacement for currencies and, you know, they're not a, you know, a replacement for a fiat currency because they're fiat themselves. In fact, Coinbase made a very interesting statement yesterday. Coinbase currently custodies $256 billion worth of assets. And they note in their Q4 filing that if the company goes bankrupt, holders of those crypto assets on Coinbase could lose their assets to creditors. And uh, because it would become an asset of the company to meet debt obligations of the company to their creditors, which means that you may wake up one morning and the company files for bankruptcy and you have no cryptocurrency left. Uh, that doesn't happen with the U.S. dollar. <laughs> so, you know, this whole idea that, you know, it's a fiat currency and, uh, or, or it's not a fiat currency, it's a replacement for gold, it's a hedge against inflation, all these theses that were put out there about cryptocurrency itself have turned out to be false um, and wrong. And it's because that they, you know, while they are certainly can be used as a currency, right? I can make an exchange for something. I can go and, and you know, I can send Mike Bitcoin and he can send me a, a you know, graphic caricature of, a, of an ape in exchange for that Bitcoin, we can make a transaction. But if Mike wants to use that that Bitcoin for anything, he's got to convert it back into U.S. dollars to go buy a car or whatever. So, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, a currency is only valid if it is a medium of exchange and it has not attained that yet. It's also a fiat currency because there's nothing backing it. And as Coinbase have just alerted their, you know, holders of Bitcoin and, and Ether, you know, you may well find out one day that, you know, you wake up and your money's just gone. And, you know, the one thing about the U.S. dollar is that it has the full faith and credit of the U.S. government behind it. You may not like it because it's not backed by gold, but you're not going to wake up one morning and your dollar just be gone, like gone, gone. Like you don't have it anymore. Type gone, um, <laughs> you know, and, and that's and that's a very different environment. What ha what Bitcoin has turned out to be, and as, as Mike and I had said early on, and we took a lot of heat for it, and now it's become true, is that it's basically a, you know, it's an it's an asset. It's a speculative asset that people can buy and sell, run up and down in price, and it actually has now a, attained a very high correlation to high growth beta momentum names. Uh, like we've seen in the stock market. So, uh, again, it, it turned out very much to be a, a retail kind of frenzy. And I'm not saying that it's over, it's dead, and it's never coming back. That's probably not the case. It's very likely we'll see Bitcoin and Ether have a very strong rally back at some point. But, again, like the market, it's a function of beta, it's a function of volatility, and it's a function of risk on attitudes and appetites. And we just don't have that right now. Um, but, Mike, to, to the question, I thought one of the interesting things that has happened in the, in the cryptocurrency world is what's going on with these stable coins, right. which, you know, the whole premise of, of the stable coin is that it doesn't lose value. It's pegged to the dollar. And 
which is also interesting, but it's, it's pegged to the dollar, and which has been going up. The U.S. dollar is up about 8.5% this year. Um, has been a very good investment. If you were just long the dollar, you've done very well this year as a hedge against the markets. But, you know, um, the stable coins, not so much. Uh, in fact, w big news over the last couple of days is that uh, one of the stable coins actually broke the buck, so to speak, and that's where they lost their peg to the dollar. In other words, the the value of the currency fell below the dollar value of of the of the peg. And, you know, investors are now getting back less than a dollar on their investment. So, you know, what's your view on this now and, and kind of where, where are we? So I think the stable coins are fascinating. And it's something I've kind of read up on over the last week or two and, full, and didn't really appreciate what stable coins are. Stable coins are essentially the money market funds for cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. So in the stock market, if I go sell 100 shares of Apple, at my Fidelity or Schwab account, that that money, the proceeds, go to my money market account at Fidelity. Now let's say I want to sell 100, 100 shares of Apple and I want the money to go to my bank. Mm -hmm. Well, it's still, it goes from selling Apple to my money market fund at Charles Schwab, from my money market fund at Charles Schwab to my bank, where it's also going to sit in a money market fund. So unless I take that money out as cash, it's going to sit in a money market fund. Correct. And I don't care because that money market fund will always have a price of one. Now, if you remember in 2008, a money market fund broke the buck. That means that it wasn't worth one anymore. It went down to 98 cents or 99 cents. The Fed went crazy because that's trust. You Once you start that's really trust in the whole system. Mm -hmm. And when you start breaking the buck on money market funds, people are going to withdraw cash like you've never seen. And there isn't enough cash. Right. The, the cash doesn't exist for all the money that actually exists. That's a, that's a story for a different uh, show. <laughs> it's but, called, it's called uh, fractional so, reserve banking. And that, yeah, that is a whole other problem. I don't think you want to hear this, yeah, especially if you're driving. Exactly. <laughs> it's not safe. Uh but so you go to cryptocurrencies and there's two kinds of stable coins. Think of stable coins as the money market. So if you sell your Bitcoin, it goes into, in that case, something called Tether, which is a stable coin. And then you can have your, your custodian basically convert the Tether to US dollars mm -hmm. uh, or to another currency or back to Bitcoin or whatever you want to do. Right. So there's two kinds of stable coins. One is algorithmic and one is actually backed by something. Algorith algorithmic is like an ETF. And it basically says that there are such incentives for the dealers or for people to keep the stable coin at about a price of one that will never get away from one. That's like ETFs. Mm -hmm. ETFs have a basket of 10 stocks. If the price of the ETF varies from the price of those 10 stocks, there's a dealer that's incented to buy those 10 stocks and deliver it in and sell it at the higher ETF price or vice versa. And because of that, the very liquid ETFs always stay exactly at their, or very, very close to their net asset value. And that was true for the algorithmic stable coins as well until a few, the last week or so, and they've been collapsing. And while it's nice to think that dealers will come in and do their job and make mm -hmm. the easy money, when we run into times of illiquidity, this is what happens. And the illiquidity in 
the liquidity in general in stable coins is nothing like it is in in some of the big name ETFs or in the money market funds or any of that type of stuff. There's another kind of stable coin that's backed. The Tether backs Bitcoin, I believe, and that is apparently backed by U.S. Treasury bonds and cash. That's a much firmer backing, assuming it's true. And I, whether it's true or not, I don't know. And there are rumors. It's kind of like the gold ETF. Is there really all that gold in the vault? We, you know, everyone <laughs> likes to think so, but no, there are there are theories that the answer is no. Right. Um, so so think about it. If you own, there's this one, this cryptocurrency called Luna, and it's backed by a a stable coin called Terra. Well, Terra was trading at 50 cents, 60 cents, 30 cents on a dollar. All of a sudden, your Luna, regardless, even though its price was dropping like a rock, the value to convert it was also dropping like a rock. So people start selling Luna, you know, in part because their whole money market system, the the, the mm -hmm. infrastructure is devastated. And right. that's what's going on in a lot of cryptocurrency cryptocurrencies and stable coins now well and again and it's also just you know again it's as we talked about before it's also a lot of the high beta trades a lot of it was on margin and we're starting to see margin redemptions uh to some some small degree right now but you know as prices continue to fall more and more margin calls come which require people to sell more and more assets and so if i've got some money in bitcoin and i'm getting margin calls in my stock trading account on Robinhood, I've got to start selling my Bitcoin to go cover my margin calls at Robinhood. And it's just a bad situation, particularly if I'm chasing a lot of those, you know, high beta names that are dropping, you know, 10, 20, 30 percent, like we saw yesterday with with Coinbase. You know, you know, this is just kind of that part of the liquidation cycle that we're in. And it's as I said earlier, you know, when you're looking at the average account being down 28 percent for the year, that tells you that a lot of investors were really you know, really on the wrong side of the trade um, in this, in, uh, you know, for this market. And again, even 18% is a lot to be down um, in, in this market. But again, 28% is a very different story. You know, but but this is, you know, but we kind of go back to the premise of this conversation and, and this and, you know, the whole premise behind, you know, stable coins and Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, it was, it was a great idea. The, the problem was, is that there, there was a flaw to the analysis, which was that it was going to be a replacement for fiat currencies. And the big difference, and this is the thing you and I pointed out long ago, was that you know you have a, a government backing the US dollar. There's nothing backing a cryptocurrency. It's, it's just the value of the people buying and selling it that drives the price. There's nothing behind it. And, if, and as Coinbase notes, if they go bankrupt, you lose your money. And that's certainly not helping Coinbase's price this morning, which is going to be under more pressure as people realize that uh, the further that stock drops in price, the risk of bankruptcy continues to rise. So again, hey, Mike, thanks for joining me this morning. Uh, be back tomorrow with Financial Fitness Friday with Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso. Of course, our newsletter will be out this weekend. And we'll update you on the markets where we are and so much more. Um, stick around. Three minutes on markets of money is coming up. And also get by our website, simplevisor.com. A lot of new stuff we've got coming out on our digital platform as well. So, again, as we continue to migrate all of our research to that website, you'll have access to that as well. Simplevisor.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.